<laughs> what can I say after a month, huh, of being away, trying to um, truly hold on to God with all I had? I um, I don't know if many of you know this, but I suffered ten mini strokes, and. crazy and at that moment all I could feel was God it was like I was set apart you know and um, as much as I can reflect to describe um, I felt apart from my family not like in love but like it was just me and him sort of you know in that way it was just me and him and it was like Cynthia I'm with you you know, I am with you, and I am here, and you're just going to have to hold on to me because I can be a little controlling, and um, that was my first lesson. And by the way, I didn't have perfect sight. My sight was distorted. I could only see, like, probably um, four feet away. So then I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with this time? And then I can't see. So here I am with him, and I'm, he's with me, and I couldn't see. And I think it was like a setup because, you know, so I wouldn't worry about what he didn't want me to worry about. He wanted me to just keep looking at him, to keep, just stay focused on him. And uh, I was like, what? But then I said, okay, God, then I'm going to look at what you allow me to see, you know, in these three feet. So whatever you want to do, I'll do. And that is the first time now that, I, that I've gone through that, that I've really completely relied on God with everything I had because I had no choice. You know, but, we, you know, I was like, now I have a different perspective, a different respect, a different love, a different relationship with him that I don't even feel the same. Going through 10 mini strokes, I am here. I am walking. Some people don't walk. I can see, you know, um, <laughs> I can think, I can talk, I can see you guys, I'm standing right here inside my church, I mean, God is good, you know, and I, and I, and I was just like, I got to tell Griselda, I got to tell Bertel, let me testify, I don't know his schedule, and he came up to me this morning, could I testify, you know, so I just want to tell you guys that God is good, <laughs> and God is our healer. You know, you got to trust that. So I'm going to read this verse to you, this wonderful verse that I went through in detail with God. And um, now I can say is, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. This is Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus. 
Thank you, God. All I can do and see was to come here and thank you, Father God, because I am the confirmation, Lord, that you just did a miracle in me, Father God. The surgeon said, Lord God, that I didn't need anything else when they did the procedure because that my artery was miraculously healing. <laughs> so all they could do was close me up. It was you, God. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord. You are so wonderful, Jesus. I pray that everyone opens up their heart and they feel your love, Father God, because you are so good, my Jesus. Thank you for life, God. I cry today, Lord, because I'm so thankful. And I love you, God. I'm so thankful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just worship him right now. Come on, just lift up your hands. Just worship him. Do you know her, God? Do you know the God she worships? Worship him right now. Come on, Lord, we love you. Come on, church. Come on, saints. Lift up your voice today. Lift up your voice today. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. still do them all. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Come on, praise him. Praise him. Praise him this morning. Praise him this morning. Praise him. Join the angels. Join the angels and praise him. Holy church this morning <laughs> look at your neighbor say welcome to church <laughs> how many feel his presence right now how many are excited to feel his presence right now you know it's just about his being aware of who he is and where he is see the Bible the Bible says that he's everywhere right David said that we're, we're, if I go to the mountain, you're there. If I hide in the cave, you're there. If I hide under a rock, you're there. If I go to the depths, you're there. If I go to heaven, you're there. He takes up all the space. <laughs> right now, you're in his space. He takes it all up. So just, just right now, I want you just to, to know who he is and where he is. Be aware of his presence. Oh, Jesus, make us aware of who you are. If you're excited to praise him, just come close. I want you guys to come close here. I haven't done this kind of stuff in a while. I haven't led Sunday worship in a while. And, and I just need I just need you. I need you to lead with me. I need you to lead with me. So come on, get off your chairs. If you're not shy, get off your chairs and just come over here. Just start to praise him. Just start to praise him. I'm sorry if you came for a religious service. I'm sorry. We're going to do things differently. Lord, we love you, God. We worship you, Jesus. 
Come on. He loves you passionately. He loves you passionately. He loves you passionately. Show your passion for him. Do you love him passionately? Do you love him with all your might, with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your emotions? Praise him today. Praise him today. The sky is heavy, feels like the winds are gonna change beneath my feet. The earth is ready, I know it's time for heaven's rain. It's gonna rain, yeah. It's gonna rain. It's gonna rain. <laughs> yeah, come on, get excited this morning. It's gonna rain. Yeah. Living water. Cause it's living water. We desire to flood our hearts with holy fire. Rain down. All around the world we're singing. Feels like the winds are gonna change beneath my feet. The earth is ready. I know it's time for heaven's rain. It's gonna rain. Yeah. It's gonna rain. Cause it's living water we desire to flood our hearts with holy fire. Rain down all around the world we're singing. Rain down, can you hear the earth is singing? Looks like tonight the sky is feels like the wind, the wind, the wind. Beneath my feet. Are y'all ready? I know it's time for heaven. It's gonna rain. Yeah. Hey, Juan, come here. Stand right here. All right, this brother right here, turn around. He's going to set the bar, okay? 
So if you're not doing what he's doing, then you're below the bar. <laughs> we, I want you guys to outdo him in your praise. Amen? I want you guys to outdo him in your excitement. I want you guys to outdo him. Amen? You guys ready? Living water. Because it's living water. We desire to flood our hearts with holy fire. some praise. Give him some praise in this place. <laughs> Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh. Man, David said, I will become more undignified than this. <laughs> oh, Lord. God, there's troubles all around us, Lord. Lord, there's chaos here and there. There's pain and there's suffering. But you, Jesus, are the answer. Come on, if he's the answer, just worship him right now. Oh, we worship you, God. We worship you. Oh, Lord.
All the saints. Sing it out. All the saints and angels bow before your throne. Come on, lift up your hands and worship today. And all the elders cast their crowns before the Lamb of God and sing. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. To you are all things. You deserve the glory. And all the same. Whoa! 
Jesus. You're so passionate, God. You're so passionate for us. Lord Jesus, I just want you to think about Jesus and what he did for you. Being in his nature, God, he put on flesh. He put on flesh for you. And now he sympathizes with you. He sympathizes with your weakness. He sympathizes with your pain, with your struggle. But he's conquered it. He's conquered it. He's conquered it. He conquered it. He conquered it. He conquered it for you. He conquered it for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you, for you. Whoa! He conquered it for you. He conquered it for you. Thank you, Lord. Come on, just thank him today. Say thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Blessed Trinity. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, God. Hallelujah. We are a church that believes in the spiritual gifts. We believe that God could speak through his people, through prophecy, through tongues and interpretation of tongues. And right now, we want to give the church an opportunity to be used by God. So if there's anybody in this room you feel like the Lord is placing a word on your heart, Go ahead, share it. Hallelujah. I believe that's a word for right now. Let's seek his face right now. As the worship team leads us in this song, let's seek the Lord right now.
happy. You make me happy. You make me happy. You make me happy. You make me happy. Let him blow you away with his joy right now. Oh. Jesus, we thank you for your presence, Lord God. You're so beautiful, Lord Jesus. You are worthy of praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. As you all continue being touched by the Lord, if you would find your seats as we prepare for communion. Metro Praise International loves to have communion once a month, the first Sunday of the month. It's our time of coming together and remembering what Jesus did, his body and blood that was sacrificed for our sins. So right now as the ushers pass out the communion, as the band continues to worship, I want to read from Isaiah 9-6 to prepare our hearts for what Jesus did for us. Now Isaiah 9-6 is in the Old Testament. It's a prophecy about Jesus. And what it says is, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now there is a time before Jesus when having the intimate and accessible worship that we have now, that wasn't possible. That wasn't available to everybody. But the Lord knew that he was going to come down in flesh, that he was going to be born a human, into a human body, 100% human, 100% divine, and he was going to break the barriers that separate us from the Father in heaven. And the prophet Isaiah, he was hearing the Lord as he was saying this. He was proclaiming this, like proclaiming the birth of Christ that was to come, the birth of our Messiah, the birth of our Savior. I'm going to read it again. For to us a child is born and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let that sink in, that our Lord was born. He was our, he's our Mighty God. He's our Prince of Peace. He's our Wonderful Counselor. He's our Everlasting Father. And yet he humbled himself. So right now, as you all are holding the, the, the wafer and the juice, I'm going to pray that just the revelation of that love, that sacrificial love, how he came down and how he is all that to us, 
But yet he sacrificed his life. He died on the cross for our sins and rose to new life to give us new life, to give us victory, to give us freedom. And after I'm done praying, you may uh, take the elements together with your family, pray with your family. So let's just pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for your body and blood that was spilt for us, Lord. We thank you that you left heaven to relate to us on earth, to come and sacrifice your comfort and everything, Lord. You felt pain. You felt suffering. You felt every human emotion. You faced every temptation, your word says, yet you never sinned, Lord, and you are example of what it means to, our, to humble ourselves and to follow you and to, to follow and, and submit to our Heavenly Father in heaven, Lord. And Lord Jesus, we just follow you right now and we remember your example, Jesus, and the sacrifice you made, Lord, how you gave 100% when you died on that cross and you held nothing back, Lord Jesus. And Jesus, we observe our hearts, Lord. If there's any error in our heart, if there's any sin, Lord, we repent of that sin right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. If there's any, um, any bitterness, any resentment in anyone's heart, God, that they laid at your cross right now. If there's any compromise, Lord, that they laid at your cross right now, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And if the worship team would just lead us in a song as the body receives the communion. Would die for me Amazing love I know it's true It's my joy to honor Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. Amazing love. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. Amazing love. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Oh, amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor.
Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. We just did praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord for that. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for what he's done. If you all would stand to your feet with me. Amen. We love to remember what Jesus has done. Never gets old. And if it gets old, then you got to repent. <laughs> Right now, as the ushers are collecting your garbage, I want to recite our confession of faith. But before I do, I want to make sure the children are dismissed. So if you are a child and you're supposed to be in the children's ministry, you could go towards the sound booth where you will be led away to the children's ministry. Go ahead. Be free. <laughs> and right now, we're going to prepare to recite our confession of faith. We, this is our Christian worldview. We recite this, so it's, there's never any confusion as to what we believe here as Christians. Um, if you can't read the screen or if you would like a paper copy, you can raise your hand and wave it wildly so that our usher can see and so that they can give you a paper copy. You could keep it in your Bible. You can memorize it if you like. But on the count of three, let's recite this together if you believe it. Amen? One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the united church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Hallelujah. Right now we have... Jerry and Elliot who will be standing here as the video's playing. Greet your neighbors, but if you need prayer, here they are. If you want to get into discipleship, go to them. Hug your neighbors, high five them.
All right, all right, everybody, please make your way back to your seat. It's so good to see you all here this morning in the house of God. Who's ready to hear a word from the Lord? Come on. Who's hungry for the word of God? I am. Thank you so much for joining us here at MPI. If this is your first time here, let me see your hand up. Please raise your hand up. Thank you so much for joining us. We got a first time visitor. Thank you. If uh, Please leave your hand raised and one of our ushers will bring you a brochure, give you some information about who we are. Amen. Here at MPI, we have two main services. Sundays at 10 a.m. Welcome. And we have child care provided. This is our family service. And then we have Friday Elevate Youth Service at 7 p.m. Come on, Elevate. Elevate. Amen. So Sundays at 10 a.m., Fridays at 7 p.m. Here at MPI, we got a vision. Somebody say vision of loving God and loving people. Do you guys think we love God? all our hearts. You guys think we love people? Come on, amen. And how we do that here, how we live it out, what we're all about is discipleship. We're not about membership. We're about discipleship. I'm a disciple for Jesus. Come on. And the way that we do that, it's a three-step process, three-step strategy. Connect, mentor, and send. We want to make sure that you're connected to Jesus. It's all about him. Amen. If it's not about him, everything else doesn't matter. First, Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life. And then we want to see you get connected to one of the life groups. Somebody say life group. Life groups are places where disciples share life. And here is a complete listing of what we have going on this quarter. If you turn and look on the back of your announcements, please take a look at the back of your announcements, flip it over. You will see a complete listing on there as well. And we have so much going on. We have, if you want to pray, we got a night of prayer. If you want somebody to teach your child about Jesus, we got that. If you are a married couple and you say, I just want to hang out with my wife. I want to I grow closer to my spouse according to the word of God. We got a group for that. We got a group for single men, single women. Come on. We got it, okay? We got something for everyone. So please make sure this month, this week, you talk to one of the leaders and you get connected. All right, because you're connected to Jesus, but then you got to connect with the body of Christ. We want to share life with you, amen? So here's what's going on this week. Tonight we got the single men's group, 18 years and up, yes. <laughs> At 3 p.m., being led by Ishmael and Chris Pittman, yes. Today, 3 p.m., talk to him. He's the guy in the orange shirt right up here. You want to get connected. And then we also have Encounter Night Prayer and Worship Group happening here at the church at 5 p.m. Okay, so if you want to just pray, you want to worship, come on. Yes, come tonight at 5 p.m. Wednesday's King's Kids. Now, this is from the ages of infant all the way up to 11 years of age. You drop them off here at the church at 630, and somebody is going to mention them, teach them about Jesus Christ. Amen? And parents, if you don't want to just drop, drop them off, you can stay here with them as well. All right? And then Friday, adult Bible study at my place. Yes, happening at 7 p.m. We're having such a good time. Come on, we're building great relationships. We're going through the word of God. We're ministering out into, into our community. And God is just doing an amazing thing. So adults, I want to see you there. I want to see you come. I want to see you bring tough questions. I want you to challenge us about the word of God. You know, and we want to pray with you and walk with you through life. So Friday's adult Bible study, 7 p.m., child care provided. And then Saturday, sidewalk counseling happening at 930. Yes, powerful ministry. 
this is a ministry that goes out to the abortion clinics and, and preaches to these mothers about the love of God and how God has a purpose for them and the baby in their womb. Amen. So powerful ministry. Please get connected with Pastor Jared. And then Saturday evangelism, going out into the city of Chicago, preaching the gospel. And I know this month they're going from park to park, and they're just going out to win souls. Amen. How many of you know the city of Chicago needs Jesus? And we are the light in this world. Jesus' light is in us, and we got to go out, and we got to make this darkness over our city disappear. Get connected. Amen? And then after you get connected, we want to see you get mentored. Somebody say mentored. This is where you learn more about your faith. It's not just about a Sunday morning. It's not just about your pastors and leaders. It's about you learning your word and what God says for you in your life. Amen? So this is the 101, and once you, you graduate that, go on to the 201 class and that's with pastor jared sundays at 10 a.m all right this is disciples making disciples and after you do that we want to send you out everybody say send send you out into the world to change the world for jesus christ amen with a goal of a hundred thousand disciples here in the city of chicago 50 churches here and 500 all around the world if you believe god can do it say amen Amen. God is good. Now please turn with me in your Bibles. It's time to prepare to give our tithes and offerings. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And I also, this month, this year, we are taking, I'm not this month, I'm sorry. At the end of 2014, in November, we are taking a trip to the Philippines. Somebody say, Philippines. Isn't that exciting? We're taking a missions trip out there to work with other pastors. We're going out to minister to the lost, to see what God wants to do uh, through our ministry out there on the Philippines. And did everybody receive a pledge card? No, please, uh, ushers, if you could please hand those out right now. This is very important. This is going to be so powerful, guys. We're going out. We're taking a trip to the Philippines missions trip, and we're raising $20,000 this year, and we're well on our way. God is doing an amazing work through your giving, through your generosity, through your faithful heart, and we're well on our way. And I want to give you an update today of where we are with that. So if we're getting those out, as you receive them, please take those home with you. Take a look over them. And I'm just going to read it, all right? So after you take it, just put it in your Bible, and I want you guys to go home and pray. This is all for people who haven't heard about what we're doing this year. It says, Dear World Changer, that's you and that's me. Thank you for your interest in helping MPI Church bring the gospel to the beautiful nation and people of the Philippines. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9.12, This service that you perform is not only supplying the need of the Lord's people, but it, it is also overflowing in many expressions to of things to God. Therefore, what you prayerfully decide to give towards our missions trip, we will be a, will be a tremendous blessing to God's people and result in many expressions of thanks to God. So here's what we're asking you to do. Number one, pray to God that he would give you direction. Number two, pledge the amount in your heart that you that God has placed in your heart to give. And number three, provide your monthly gift 
for the, uh, for the next 12 months. So be faithful in that. God is going to honor your faithfulness. Amen. We will be receiving these pledges for the trip starting from January through December of 2014 for a total of 12 months. And as you give faithfully each month, please remember to mark missions. That's very important. Please mark missions. We believe we can raise all of the $20,000 for traveling expenses, Bibles, food, and supplies, and help meet the needs of the local churches. Thank you for your prayerful consideration in this matter. We believe God will do a tremendous thing in and through us for his kingdom. Amen. Guys, it's happening. God is doing it. And here is the update. All right. So, um, so far, I can't see the no, This month, the month of April, we have raised $1,609. Amen. Come on. God did that through you. Amen. And so, from the time we started taking up money, we have raised $8,575, amen, every penny going towards that. God is doing it, so we are almost halfway there. All we need left is $11,425. So guys, open up your heart. Listen to what God is saying, is saying to you, and just be faithful with that giving, amen? You guys believe God can do it? Yeah, I believe he can do all things, amen? All right, so if you're with me there in... In 2 Corinthians 9, 6, I want to go through this giving lesson with you. We're in lesson four. Offerings are like seeds planted for a harvest. Our offerings are like seeds planted for a harvest. We know that tithe is 10% of our total income. So I like to give this example. If you received $100 this week, your tithe would be $10. That's 10%. All right? And so... An offering is a gift to God after our tithe. So let's read in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So what? let's see what um, the main points here in this passage. So, uh, number one, sow seed. The biblical word sow means plant. Therefore, Paul in the above passage is comparing one's offerings to seeds that are planted to grow and be harvested. For example, when a farmer plants or sows corn seeds into the ground, he does so because he wants to reap a harvest of corn. So you're going to plant what you want, right? You're not going to plant something else. You're going to plant exactly what you want to receive. So here is what happens when we sow sparingly. If a farmer only planted a few seeds in the ground, he would only expect to reap a small harvest. In the same way, Paul teaches us that if we give sparingly to God in our offerings, we will only reap sparingly from his provision. And here's for the person who sows generously. If a farmer plants many seeds, he will reap a large harvest. As a result, when we give generously to God, we can expect to reap God's generous blessings. Remember, the Holy Spirit, according to each person's ability and resources, determines generosity in God's kingdom. Amen? Who wants to reap generously? I want to reap generously in all things. I want to sow into God's kingdom generously. I want to say, God, take from me. You know, I want to have that heart. So that's my prayer. God, I want to be open to what you have for me because I want to reap generously. And this, this uh, lesson today reminded me of, uh, of this a uh, few weeks ago, you know, like maybe a month ago. I went to the store and I bought these seeds. All right. I bought to, to plant cilantro and basil. You know, I'm like, I want to reap these because I love having it. it's fresh. It's delicious. But guess what? They're still sitting in a drawer. 
in my kitchen, and I have not planted them. I have not sown them, so I'm not going to reap cilantro and basil because I haven't planted them, you know? What good does it do me if it's just sitting there? Absolutely nothing. It's the same thing, guys. When we're holding back these things, our money's sitting there. We're saying, I just want to hold it for one day, maybe a rainy day or something. Let's sow generously for, uh, into God's kingdom, and we will reap generously. Amen. Please stand to your feet with me this morning. I want to recite this with you together. Before we get to that, to the, to the confession, this is how we apply it. Be a faithful tither. Give generous offerings to God and prayerfully expect God to bless you generously. When we pray, we must believe that God hears our prayers. Amen? So let's confess this together. One, two, three. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. Offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Amen and amen. When you give your tithe here at MPI, it goes to the general fund. Anything that you give after that goes to offering. And you can choose whether missions or the building fund. Amen. So let's recite this together. The scripture, Acts 20, 35. Let's see if we have it up there today. Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness to your people. I just pray for generous hearts in this room, dear God, to give, to see the vision, dear God, not just to give, but to see exactly what you're doing. And I pray for their hearts to be tied, to be committed to the vision here at MPI, dear God. And because of that heart, because they see what you're doing, God, they would give. They would give from a cheerful heart. They would give, dear God, to reap, dear God, abundantly generously from your kingdom lord god in jesus name we pray amen please come up as you give and thank you so much for your giving Man, if you love Jesus, can I get an amen? Amen. We're going to put up a very special new member of Metro Praise International. I'm so excited about Zoe Faith. Thank you, guys. Stick. And uh, she was born yesterday at 2.30 p.m. Uh, Nancy did all the work. I was there just to help. I was there just to assist, to keep her calm and to love on her. 
And this beautiful baby is just the joy of my life. And we love making babies. So keep praying for us as we're doing that. We want to go to a dozen. We want to have a dozen. And uh, we're, we're not even halfway there. But everyone is so special to us. Uh, and so um, Zoe, after about six hours, came. Nancy only had to push for about ten minutes. So moms, you can kind of probably relate to that. That was really awesome for her. That was like an answer to prayer. And they induced her. So it's like we set an appointment. We just like got up, went to the, the hospital. They did it. Bada bing, bada boom. That's, you know, how it appeared to be. But she had to do a lot more work. Bam. And then here comes Zoe. And what's awesome about our family is that we know it works best for us. So Nancy was like, you go to church. You take Take the kids, and I'm going to stay here and sleep all day, you know. So that's what I love about my wife. We just keep it real. So they have the doctor there, you know, helping out, in, you know, the nursery there. And she's just getting rest. She's just loving on Jesus. So she gave me permission to come today. But I got my bracelet, so I'm going to go back and get her in a little bit. And then um, Bethany said, you know, can she take her out in their car and go driving together on Lakeshore Drive and enjoy the nice day? And I said, not yet. Y'all ain't ready for that. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, my daughters are excited for them to come for her to come home I don't think my other children because we have three other children I don't think they really understand what a baby is because for some reason they forgot what Lucas was like so we have to keep reminding them like she's not ready to talk she's not ready to hang out but you you just got to love on her okay so as you think about Nancy and I'm sorry I don't have any of Nancy up there but I think you guys know why I don't have any of Nancy because after she pushed and everything was done no pictures going up of her today but later on this week you will be seeing her and uh, hopefully you guys can just keep in prayer. Thank you very much. Uh, open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Matthew 5, verse 27. What a great day to talk about lust and adultery. What a great day. Why is it a great day to talk about lust and adultery? Because we just had a baby, and that shows that sex can be fun, that sex can result in beautiful things. And that we don't want to teach our children that sex is gross and icky. We want to teach them that it's beautiful, but it has to be done God's way. And I'm looking around, and I think all of our children are gone, because today will be a PG-13 message. If you need, if a children comes to visit you, let them know maybe this is not the best time. You can have them stay in the back, but I see everybody has already put their children back there. Because I want to talk about, really, the, the good, bad, and the ugly. Everybody say sex. The good, bad, and the ugly. See, that would be like my subtitle today. But the reason why we're calling it lust and adultery is because we're in a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus went to a mountain and gave a what? A sermon, hence the name Sermon on the Mount. You guys are smart. Come on. And this par portion comes right out of that uh, teaching. And he talked about adultery and he talked about lust. But if I was to uh, subtitle it into our culture, I would probably say sex, the good, bad, and the ugly. So you can write that down. As you look at Matthew 5, 27, uh, this is Jesus talking. Matthew 5, 27, he said, you have heard it that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Let's read that together. One, two, three. You shall not commit adultery. How many know the real housewives of Jersey Shore, uh, everybody in politics, our neighbor? How many know people need to know that verse right there? Let's just read it again. You shall not commit adultery. Now, here's verse 28. Jesus in the new covenant is going to take it to a whole nother level. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Can you do that with your neighbor right now? Kidding, kidding, please don't. We'll all go to jail and it won't be a good day. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Look how serious Jesus is. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. Men, you know what I'm talking about right there, don't you? It it, it may get a little quiet here at times, but I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to keep it real. And women deal with it too, but this is really for men. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, I want everybody to think about this. If Jesus um, is who he said he was, our Lord and Savior, are these important words for us to listen to? Okay, and now as Jesus, as a communicator, could he have communicated this concept of lust and adultery more serious? Could he have said anything more serious than cut out, gouge out parts of your body so you avoid going to hell? I don't know how more serious he could have been unless he started cutting off things for you, you know, unless he said, let me help you with this. Other than that, I mean, this is as serious as Jesus can get. And leave the passage there, please, because I want your mind to look at it. I want your mind to focus on these words that Jesus is saying here. It is no doubt, no doubt in Jesus' mind that there's a hell. Please put the passage up. There is no doubt that there's a hell. Jesus knew about it because he created it. And he is warning us that these kind of things can lead us there. So... Just right off the bat, we need to understand Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We need to take him serious. And number two, he's not joking around. So I know in our culture, people will make dirty music videos. Uh, you know, I'll just be, I'm going to name a lot of names of people in public so we can use them as examples, okay? I don't mean to call them out like they're a worse of a sinner. I just want to use them as examples so we can go, oh, yeah, that makes sense, okay? So Beyonce's new album caused a lot of men to lust. How many men have iTunes and you woke up that morning and saw that there? The moment I took, I went to iTunes, you got to be mature to handle this, okay, kids? Uh, the moment I went to iTunes, when Beyonce's album came out, I was like, I can't even look at iTunes. Why? Because she's in lingerie type dresses, hanging it all out, and it wasn't just one picture. It was like sliding through. Here's another picture of defilement. Look at me defile myself now with sparkles. Look at me look like a harlot now. And it gets quiet when I preach like this, but as your pastor, I'm going to keep it real. And see, some of us in our culture can just look at that and get so used to it. Now, we'll look at a Miley Cyrus twerking, and we'll go, oh, yeah, she's dirty. Oh, yeah, she's dirty. But we'll look at a Beyonce and maybe go, oh, that's pretty. No, it's both dirty. It doesn't matter if you put sparkles on it and, and you're, you know, just looking all artistic or you're just being dirty and nasty, uh, sticking out your tongue and twerking. Now, those are examples that we can understand. But I don't think our culture sees how serious God takes it. Because some people are like, oh, that's pretty. I want to look like that. And then we got the selfie syndrome. We got everybody right now wants to be like Beyonce, you know, like sucking it in, you know, taking these duck photos. You know what I'm talking about, duck face? You know, then women, you know, pushing everything in like they're wearing the Wonder Bra or something, pushing it all, you know, and just holding it for a second. 
And listen to me, guys. Guys, if you have a Facebook picture or a profile with your shirt off, you are dumb. You are basically telling every godly woman to stay away from you. Taking off your shirt. But this is, all, this is like normal to us. It is normal for us to be on Facebook seeing grown women with kids taking selfies with their breastuses hanging out and their cleavage and to make that look normal and dudes taking off their shirts, pouring hot wax or butter on them, whatever they're doing, right? And then, you know, this kind of mentality is what Jesus is trying to say. This is a problem, He would say to us in America, he would say, what you guys are calling normal life, what you guys are calling social media, what you're calling entertainment, I'm saying could send you to hell. And it's not that I'm judging these people because without Christ, we're all like this in some way or another, okay? And if you don't have a sex drive, you have medical problems, I'm just keeping it real. So if you're sitting here today going, Pastor, I don't have a sex drive, you need to go get that checked out. You need to go find out what's wrong with you because everybody's body is created up until a certain age. If we have a few senior citizens here, even past menopause, we love you, but you know you still want to get it on because if you got a normal body, that's what your body was made for. Look at your neighbor and say, this is my pastor. I ain't ashamed of them. Come on, you ain't ashamed of me. Don't be embarrassed now. I'm just talking about God and sex. Now I talk about men. Every man here deals with lust. Every single man here deals with lust. There is not one man that doesn't deal with lust. If I put up a beautiful woman here and and she danced seductively, every single man here, including myself, would deal with lust. And if you're a man and you're saying, no, honey, I don't deal with that. No, honey, that's not me. Then we got to put up a man up here. Some We got to put up a... A dude up here, and then you'll lust after him because you're either lusting after the opposite sex or the same sex. I'm thinking of that Latino star that came out uh, being gay. What was his name? We will bring Ricky Martin up here, sir. We will show you where your lust is. Because, oh, no, I don't lust after women, baby. No, I don't lust after. Then you are lusting after men. Because I keep it real with my wife. Yes, I lust. I struggle with it. But listen, I want every man to hear this testimony. I have not looked at pornography since 1996. Since 1996, amen? Never thought I would get a hand clap for that in public, but that's okay. No pornography since 1996. No sex with myself, and that's the word I'm going to use today for that M word. No sex with myself since that same time. I made a decision as a new Christian. I would not give myself to pornography and sex with myself. But I will be real and say lust is a temptation. It, just because I haven't given into the temptation doesn't mean I'm not tempted with it. And so we have to be real. We have to be honest. Every single one of us, no matter what age we are, have to be real. As a matter of fact, some of the stats I'm going to go through, some of the most sexually active people are in their 60s right now, divorcing and remarrying and having a, having a ball with it because they're living longer lives. That's actually a stat I'm going to show you today. So like I said, from the youngest to the oldest, if you are a healthy adult, male or female, you know what I'm talking about, and we need to learn about it. Can I hear an Amen. Now, let's get some definitions here. Sermon on the Mount is the, ter- is the term for all of the passages we're going through over the next couple of months. 
Matthew 5, 6, and 7 talk about all different issues of life. We've already learned about the Beatitudes. We've learned about salt and light. We learned about anger and murder. And there's a lot more to talk about. And next week, we're going to talk about divorce. That will be a fun one, right? But we got to talk about it because that's what Jesus did. He talked about it. So next week, we'll talk about divorce. And you can skip ahead. You can see where we're going. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're going verse by verse. And if you ever get encouragement or want to share something encouraging this week, put Kingdom Basics on your Facebook, hashtag Kingdom Basics, or on your Twitter account, and let people know, like, this is an encouraging update so we can keep it all about the kingdom. Amen? Uh, number two, Jesus is talking to disciples. Do I have any disciples here today? Okay, so these are people, men and women, who love him and want to study his word and not just hear it, they want to do it. Somebody say, do it. Okay, we just don't want to come to church and hear about it. We want to what? Do it. We want to do the word. And lastly, the kingdom of heaven is what it's all about. That's why it's kingdom basics. From start to finish, Jesus' life was about the kingdom. We're even going to go through the Lord's Prayer in this sermon series. And then uh, the very important part in that Lord's Prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's where we're focused at is what does God believe in heaven or what does he teach in heaven and want us to know. And then we believe it here and live it out down here. And then one day the Bible says everyone's going to be a part of that kingdom and obey those rules and those who didn't live for Jesus will get sentenced to hell but they'll at least see the kingdom come they'll see God's glory and that may be the last thing they see before they see hellfire amen and you don't want that you don't want to have the have the, the you know go to Disney World have the ticket stand in front everybody's getting in you see it Mickey Mouse is waving and then you get run over by a truck or something you know that would be very bad so you don't want to be kicked out of God's kingdom sent to hell do you all believe in a hell Okay, so the opposite of hell is what? Heaven, and the heaven, heaven's going to come to earth one day. Okay. Now, what I want to do with this message, simple, you looked at the verses, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. I want to give you the three concepts that Jesus talks about here. Three concepts. He talks about adultery, he talks about lust, and he talks about cutting things off. Now, by the way, all these notes are found online for free at our website or our Facebook. So let's get the definition of adultery out here. Number one, everybody say adultery. Thank you, and that simply is to have extramarital sex, okay? Extramarital sex, that means you're married and you're having sex with someone that is not your spouse. So, for example, a married person cheating on their spouse with someone they met at work or online would be called what? Adultery. Does everybody know what adultery is? Okay, now you have to also understand about the Bible and how it uh, terms things is that the Bible uh, considers both the one that's married and unmarried adulterers. So it's not just the one who does the cheating that they say, oh, that one's the adulterer, the other one's okay. No, if they know that that person is married, they are considered an adulterer too. And then if they know the person's, uh, or if they didn't know the person was married and they're having sex outside of marriage because they're not married to the person, that's still called fornication. So it's a sin of another kind. Does everybody get that? But if they know this person is married, they have sex with them, they're considered an adulterer just like the married one. Now, let's look at Leviticus 20, verse 10. And it is getting a little hot in here. Berto, would you kick me down the air conditioning? I don't know if it's the subject matter or what. But it is, it is hot up here. And I've got three daughters to think about. That's why I've got three handguns and one big shotgun. Amen. Praise the Lord. I will protect them. Let's look at the Old Testament. Leviticus 10, Le uh, Leviticus chapter 20, rather, verse 10. 
Look at what it says about adultery. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Well, how, how many affairs do you think would be happening right now if that was the penalty? Probably wouldn't be happening a lot. You certainly wouldn't be putting it on reality TV, would you? You wouldn't be making music videos about it, right? Well, thank God we don't live in the Old Testament where these kinds of laws have those punishments. But does that mean it gets easier to obey God? Or should we say, does that mean God lowers the standard? No, because he said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But now I say, don't even lust, or that's going to be considered adultery. And then he mentions hell as a penalty for those who continue to commit this kind of adultery, whether it's physical or lusting. So you're not just in fear of a death penalty in the new covenant, though that's taken away because of Jesus. You are now in fear of hell fire. So there's still a penalty, but it's not from the government. It's from God. So how many are happy your government does not check what's going on in your bedroom? Are you happy about that? Okay, I'm happy my government does not get concerned about what's going on in my bedroom. The Old Testament was like that, though. If they found out either homosexuality and these different types of things, adultery, you would die for it. But we don't live in that time. But it's not that Jesus says, ah, guys, it's not a big deal. Now he says, man won't judge you, but I'll judge you. And it's about hell. So he couldn't get more serious. Amen? Okay, now let's learn about lust. We know what adultery is. It's pretty basic, extramarital sex. Then he tells us not to lust because if we do, it's the same thing as committing adultery. Look at the definition of lust, please. To desire to have sex with someone you are not married to. So is it considered lust for me to desire to have sex with my wife? No. So God gave me that desire. When does it become lust? When I'm not married to the person I'm having that desire for. So let's just pause right here and understand desires. Do we have a sex drive? Yeah, we have a sex drive. But does that mean we can have a meditation or thoughts about, driven by our sex drive about people we're not married to? No, we cannot use our imagination to do that. And we'll discuss a little bit about homosexuality today, but I want everyone to see this. It's not about what kind of sexual perversion you're having. Jesus just says lust. Lust. So if you're a married man lusting after a woman that's not your wife, that's lust. If you're not a married man and you're lusting after somebody you're not married to, obviously, that's lust. If you're lusting after the same sex, that's lust. And you, you can never be blessed and married according to God's word. So that kind of lust always has to be controlled and not lived out. But the, married, uh, the, the person who wants to be married one day has to uh, hold on to that desire, uh, push it down until they can be married, and then they can release it and let it flow. Look at your neighbor and say, let it flow. And that's why the Bible says, that's why the Bible says not to awaken love until it's time. So you've got to be careful about when you awaken your heart to that kind of behavior. Okay? Here's an example of lust in our modern-day culture, pornography. Everybody get that? That's, that's an example of lust. Uh, perverted imaginations, example of lust. We used to call this in Bible college taking pictures during the day and developing them at night. So you're looking around at the beach, you're going hanging out, looking at girls, staring at girls, and then you go home and you develop on that, you meditate on that, you, you continue in that vein. And then talking dirty. 
Anybody here, anybody talk dirty about sex? Sex is on their mind. They don't regard it in a biblical way. It's not a pure thing. They talk about it dirty. That's perverted. And let me just give you the definition of perversion. Perversion is to corrupt the original version. Okay, so the original version is God created Adam and Eve to be in holy matrimony, in marriage, okay? So anytime we do things outside of marriage sexually, that's called perversion. We are, we are corrupting and tainting the original version, okay? Now, let's move on. Does everybody get what lust is? Okay, let's go to cut off. Everybody say, cut it off. Okay, here's what Jesus says. If a part of your body causes you to sin, cut it off. He uses the example of the eye. The eye is what is sensual. It's how, uh, rather how we see things that uh, become sensual to us. Can a blind person lust? Yes, because they can still use their imagination. But the, the most common way is that we use our eyes. So he says, if your eyes cause you to sin, cut it off. Your hand. You need mo uh, could you have sex without your hands? Yes, it would be hard, but you could. But the idea is here, sex is a part of your body, so you couldn't really enjoy it or normally for most of us without your hands or without your legs, okay? And Jesus wasn't being perverted, but obviously if he says gouge out eyes and cut off hands, he could say the other thing, cut off this, and you would be all right too. But either way, these are just examples. They are not physical things God wants us to do. There was actually a time in, in the Catholic Church when some priests, they were getting so burned up with lust, they said, you know what, we won't cut off our hands, but we'll put our hands over fire anytime we think about lust to see if we can stop thinking about it. So, you know, if they would feel lust, they'd put their hands over a candle and pray. You know, and then I saw a picture in my textbook, like dude was missing fingers and all of that. It's like, it's like poor Father Tom, you know what I'm saying? Like Father Tom couldn't stop lusting, and he kept burning off his fingers. Call him Father Nubby. You know what I'm saying? He's all nubbed. You look at Father Tom. What happened to him? He lusted last night. He's missing a finger now. You know what I'm saying? But they were doing this crazy stuff in the church. Then they would actually beat themselves. And if anybody remembers, during the dark age, they would beat themselves, whip themselves, and, and, and try to do that. And they would call that crucifying the flesh. But that's not going to do it. you got to have this cutting off in your heart. Jesus is using physical language to give us a spiritual lesson. Physical example, spiritual lesson. Amen? Okay, now here are examples of things we can cut off out of our life to help us stay free from lust and adultery. Number one, cut off perverse TV shows, movies, and music. Many of us understand this is a part of our temptation. Back in the day, it used to be soap operas. I don't know if anybody watches those anymore, but romance novels, that was back in the day. Now it's reality TV or music videos or just rated R movies that show nudity all the time and sex scenes. These things can stimulate perversion in your heart. You have to cut them off. Uh, number two, cut off friends from social media who post perverted things. Does anybody here ever have friends post perverted things on Facebook? There are, there are people that I've had to cut off, showing two girls kissing, showing this makeout scene. I've actually had friends, uh, they're distant friends, uh, more like people that I've just either preached to or whatever, but they're not like my buddy buddy. You know, I'm not uh, trying to say it's like I'm better than anybody else, but I've actually had those kind of people, like friends of friends and people I used to preach to, put pornography, pornography on Facebook. I mean, and I could just imagine, what if I was a guy struggling with pornography? I'm a pastor. You're my friend. You put that up. That could ruin my whole day. Okay, so you got to guard yourself against things like that. And if you're, and if you're close to them, you got to talk to them. And one of them I did, I said, bro, you can't keep putting this stuff up. 
you know, this is going to destroy people. This is going to ruin marriages. This will put perversion in people's hearts. So uh, I would rather cut off a friend and be right with God, amen, and have a Facebook friend get offended than for me to fall into lust and offend God. Amen. I would rather offend people than offend God. Uh, number three, cutting off places like bars, clubs, and friends' homes that are perverse. Is it wrong to drink? No, but don't get drunk. But there are places where you can go and drink where there is only one thing on people's minds. And you've got to be careful not going around those kinds of places. You want to go to a lounge. You want to go somewhere that's safe and quiet and it's, it's, it's dignified. Go ahead. Enjoy a glass of wine. Go ahead. Just don't get drunk. That's what I personally believe. That's what we believe in the church. But you go to a club where the lights are low, the music is pounding, everybody's drunk off their mind, they're bumping and grinding, they're making Miley Cyrus look tame. No, that ain't for you. That is not for you. Stay away from those kinds of places. If you've got friends' houses where they're making up, uh, making up, making out, and I even going to say the words orgy and sex parties. I mean, that's happened before with, with people that we know here in the church and confessing that. I mean, you've got to stay away from those kinds of homes. You've got to stay away. You've got to say, man, I'm not going to go over there. I can enjoy myself without being perverted. Uh, for example, Mardi Gras. People are like, well, is it wrong to go to Mardi Gras? Well, it depends on what you define. See, I lived in New Orleans, uh, defined as Mardi Gras. Uh, you know, I've been there uh, to, to, to 12 uh, Mardi Gras. Well, there's the Mardi Gras party that happens on Bourbon Street, drunk out their mind, women flashing their breastesses, and people hooking up and doing bad things. That's a bad place to go. Never go there. But is it wrong to go to the street festival that's down your house where your kid's school does a parade? No, because there's a difference. It's not perverted. You guys get what I'm saying. Is it wrong to go to Boricua Fest? No. But if all you can do, fellas, is just keep staring at the ladies in those tight shorts, you know what I'm talking about. This keeps it real. You know, we actually get, <laughs> we go preach at Boricua Fest, and I have brothers come up to me saying, pray for me, pastor. I can't even preach because these bonitas senoritas are causing me to stumble. I'm just keeping it real. But then maybe for you, my brother or sister, whatever, you, you just you can't be out there like that. Or you just got to be around us and just keep talking to people that are more well-clothed. Amen? Let the one in the booty shorts and the tight midriff stuff, let them go to the next one. Amen? You, you talk to the dude or something, you know? And once again, we don't know what your flavor of sexuality is, but just guard yourself. Cut yourself off from those places. And then here, number four, cut off unrestrained Internet use. Right now, one of the most popular ways for people to lust, to hook up, have adulterous affairs, and pornography is happening online. It's happening online. You all know about it. We all, we all know that we're not, we're not naive to this. Put internet software on your computer that will keep you accountable, that will send to your friends or family, those you trust, accountability partners, where you're going online and what you're doing. And I would say spouses, let everybody know, uh, husband and wife, let, let the other one know your Facebook account. Let them be able to go in there and check it so there's no secret stuff going on. And if it's a dangerous thing for some of you, share the Facebook account, you know. You know, Bob and Jan's Facebook. Okay, that's great. Because that way there's never going to be a confusion of someone reaching out from the past trying to pull back your, your husband or wife. Amen? Okay, so those three things we learned from Jesus. We learned what adultery is. We shouldn't do it. We learned what lust is. We shouldn't do it. And we learned that if we struggle in these things, we should cut it off. Everybody say cut it off. Okay, now what I want to do for the next few moments is I want to give you some stats about sexuality. Here we go. Good, bad, and the ugly. I want to keep it real about what's going on in our culture, okay? And this comes from a lot of studying that I've done. I've also preached a similar message to this. If you've heard this before, just bear with me for, for those who haven't, okay? First time sex stats. 
6% of teenagers in our culture have sex for the first time by the time they're 15. 30 cent, uh, 30% by 16, nearly 48% by 17, 61% by 18, 71% by 19 years old. That's the average age of people losing their virginity is somewhere around 17 years old. Those of you here, remember the time you lost your virginity. How old were you? Were you around that age? Give or take a year. That's the average for our culture today. Sexually transmitted diseases, because you know this is something that we also have to talk about. And condoms don't fix it because God said, have sex with one person your whole life. That will fix it. Amen? But I think we need to keep it real because it's still a problem. It's still a problem. More than half of all people will have an STD or STI at some point in their life. That's more than 50% of people right now, more than half of us here. If you're not doing it the right way, you will have an STI or an STD. I've had both. I've had an STD and an STI, and I was only sexually active from 15 till 18 years old. It gets quiet when I preach like that. Praise God, I've been hooked up and fixed and cured and all that. But, uh, hey, that's what it was. And I was just a kid from the suburbs, 15 to 18, but I've caught both. And I'll keep it real with you. It's only getting worse. Each year, one in four teens uh, contract an STD or an STI. So it's not going away. Number three, one in two sexually active persons will get it by the time they're 25 years old happening all over on college campuses. So I just want to talk to parents right here. Many of you are, are, are instilling in your kids great things about going to college, and that's great. But going to college won't keep their heart pure. you got to know where you're sending them. You're sending them to the place that they will probably party and have sex the most at any time in their life. I'm telling you, talk to people who have gone to U of I. Talk to people who have gone to UIC and the different universities around here. They will get sexualized, and they will become a part of that drug and alcohol culture if you don't guard their hearts. So don't just be like sending them to college, sending them to college. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to love God and send them to college. Amen? But college is not the answer for your young people. It is Jesus. Amen? Okay, because I've seen too many people go away to college and lose their soul and come out with a college degree. What difference does that make? It doesn't. It's better to have Jesus and the college degree. Amen? And because uh, our church is multicultural, wanted to share this, the biggest increases are in black, Latino, Native American, and gay communities. The gay communities, as we're going to learn in just a little bit, have the highest rate of STDs and STIs. Here's porn stats. So we're talking about looking at pornography, what it's like. 42% of Internet users view porn. That's four out of ten people who sit down to use the computer today will more than likely look at porn sometime. Most people are looking at porn who are uh, uh, almost most half people are looking at porn. One in 13 in the United States uh, girls reported having group sex because they found it first or watched it first in pornography. So girls are already, as teenagers, beginning to participate in twosomes, you know, menage a trois. This is, like, popular in our culture today, uh, being involved in group sex and where they get the idea from, pornography. And by the way, what we're now calling, uh, what, what music videos are putting out today, like Miley Cyrus, Wrecking Ball, and all this, this was porn just 20, 30 years ago, meaning you couldn't see something like that unless you went to an X-rated movie or had an X-rated video. You couldn't see, uh, you know, homosexuality in that unless you went to an X-rated movie. You couldn't see those kind of body parts just a few years ago. So, by the way, we were becoming desensitized as well. Uh, the average age of a first group sex experience for a girl is 15 years old. 
So it's only getting worse. Group sex experience on average. So the one who does it, one out of 13, that girl who does it, her average age is 15 years old. And just to give you an idea of the epidemic that's going on, we know this in Chicago, Philadelphia started handing out condoms to their fifth graders because we're just a sexualized culture. There's no stopping the train now. And 64 to 68% of young men and about 18% of young women view pornography once a week, and another 17% men, 30% women use porn once a month. So you're talking about 80% of men will view pornography once a month. That's 8 out of 10 men, ladies. One, uh, two out of 10 are living pure. 8 out of 10 are going to view pornography sometime this month. And then almost half of all women will view pornography sometime this month. Think about how detrimental that is to the church. Think about what that is to your family. What does that do to your spiritual life? What does that do to the, the children that you're going to have one day? How can you teach them to do different when you yourself are still making those same mistakes? Now, is it any wonder that because we're so lust-filled that our marriages are falling apart? No, because we're not satisfied. Just like that old Facebook post or that Facebook post that has that old couple, you know, it says like they've been married 65 years, and then they say, because in our day, we didn't throw away things that were broke. We fixed them. You know, something like that. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? See, but now in our culture, let's just throw it away, get a new one, throw it away, get a new one. And it's not just that typical scenario anymore where it's the guy looking for the younger woman. No, there's women doing it, men doing it at all different ages. And as I'll get into it, those 60 and older, because their life is, is expectancy is going longer, they're saying, I didn't like who I spent these first 20, 30 years with. I want to go over it again for the next 20 years. I want to have another wife. I want to have another husband. No good reason other than their sex drive. And, of course, there are things that go into that, but primarily their sex drive. Look at the divorce rate in America. Some say half, but really it's more like 41%. But that's for the first marriage. Now watch this. Because we're getting divorced so much, we're obviously getting married again because people still are valuing marriage to some extent. But now that divorce rate goes up to 60%. So now it's more likely to fail your second time, even though you think I've learned all these life lessons. But because you probably did it the wrong way the first time, the chances are that you'll do it wrong again and even higher. And the third marriage, 73%. So people who have said, oh, I've been there and I've done that, let me teach you something. No, 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 no. I want to learn from the one who's been married 50 years. Teach me, Grandpa. Teach me, Grandma. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean you all can't have life experience and share with your friends and family. I'm just saying I want to learn from those who have not had those kinds of things. Amen? That's just personally for me. Uh, adultery stats. Now, this is what we were talking about before, having sex outside of your marriage. 12% of men, 7% of women had had sex outside of their marriage. And that's uh, 1 from 10 right now. Marriages are suffering from infidelity. So that's somewhat of a low number. We may get happy about that. But the problem as we get to living together, we're finding out that that's really only happening because less people are getting married. And they're doing their sexual experimentation, testing out the goods a lot more now before they're actually getting married. And then we'll, we'll learn about that. But the infidelity rate for men over 60, here we go, watch this. The infidelity rate for men over 60 has increased 28% in 2006, up 20% from 1991. See, they saw some Viagra commercial like, hey, I want to get it on. That's what they did, something like that. Y'all get quiet on me, like two people left. <laughs> 
For women over 60, the increase is more striking to from 15, up 15% from 5%. Same thing. There's actually a, a series on TLC. My wife and I were blown away by this called Cougars. These 65, 70-year-old women going out for 20-year-old men. I mean, it's just all, all, all bets are off now. Number three, about 20% of men and 15% of women under 35, see, this is where it gets higher now, this is what I was talking about, say they have been unfaithful to their spouse. And so you can see those percentages going up among the younger generations, even though they're getting married less, but they're starting to cheat more. Now, living together before marriage, how many have seen this uh, trend become a part of our culture? Mary, uh, living together before you're married, raising kids, all of these things. What is that doing? That's teaching the children not to value marriage. Now, you may be here and say, Pastor, don't judge me. Listen, I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to help you, and I'm here to tell you what Jesus said. Jesus wants you to raise your children with the husband that you had the children with and the wife. The, the husband, he wants you to be with your wife. Now, if y'all can't get along and you've made some mistakes, that's okay. But start wherever you're at and say, I want to do it right. Sometimes I meet people, and they're like, well, I've done it wrong all these years, and so I don't trust anybody, so I'm just living with this dude right now. No, don't do that. Don't do something that's outside of God's plan to try to make things better. Always do it God's way. Amen? Now watch this. Between 2006 and 2010, nearly half of all heterosexual women, 48%, that's ages between 15 and 44, they were, married, uh, they were not married to the spouse or partner they first lived with. Now almost half of all women are living together with people they don't even eventually marry. So they're having these live-in relationships, and they're not even marrying them. See, this is the problem we're having in our culture. We're getting to the point where we're saying, why, what's the point of, uh, why even try? Why even try to do it God's way? And now look at this. Nearly 75% of women ages 30 and younger said they lived together with a partner at some point in their life. So now 75%, that's three out of four, Women today, and I don't want to embarrass anybody here, but just look at your life, your friends' lives. Seven, uh, rather three out of four are saying, I have lived together before I've gotten married. Now, what was that like in, in years gone by? And I'll just scroll down here uh, to years gone by. In years gone by, um, going to point number uh, seven, I believe, or six here, said that women were married, 71% of women were married in 1960. 72% as opposed to 50% of women over a certain age. And now the average age of women getting married, and it's, it's focusing on the women here, is 27 years old. So put these stats together. What does that mean? That means women, it's not working for you because you're getting older before they even commit to you. Before you know it, you're going to be 50 years old, and the dude's going to be like, yeah, now I'll do it. Women, you need to put your foot down. You need to say, listen, you ain't getting nothing until you put a ring on it. You're not getting nothing. We're not making love. We're not hanging out. We're not hooking up. You're not spending the night. You're just getting a kiss on the cheek, and I'm sending you about your way. And if he says, and if he says baby, I want more than that because I really love you, say, oh, you love me? Yes, I love you. Tell him to close his eyes and say, I got something for you because I really love you. Have him close his eyes, take off your shoe, step back, bap him over the face and say, don't you say that to me ever again because I don't care how much he loves you. If he really loves you, he would put a ring on it. So what happened? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take off the lies of what men have been saying. See, men convinced women that this was a better way. 
and it's not a better way. And women, stop putting up with it. Stop putting up with it. You could put your foot down right now. I guarantee you, if almost all you women with men that are having sex together, living together, if you said you're not getting any until you put a ring on it and we get married, I guarantee you Flacco is going to the corner store. He'll pick up a gumball ring if he has to. He'll get on one knee. He'll sleep on the couch till you go to the courthouse tomorrow. He'll make sure it gets right. And now listen, if, he, if, if he's not willing to do that, put in effort, and he leaves you, he wasn't worth keeping anyway. He wasn't worth keeping anyway, so let him go. Look at your neighbor and say, let it go. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, somebody. Now, let's just take it to a more serious note because we could talk here as adults and say, yes, we all understand what it's like to have needs and how hard it is to find a good person to be committed to. Okay, but does it just stay with you too? No. Someone usually gets pregnant, the woman, right? And a child comes forth because either you're going to kill that child, which brings us to another issue, abortion, or you're going to raise that child up in a broken family. So think about that right now. It doesn't just stay between you. We have over a million abortions a year. And what is the number one reason women are killing their babies? Because they say, I'm not ready to have a baby. You ain't ready to have a baby. You ain't ready to twerk it all night long. If you ain't ready to have a baby, you ain't ready to drop it like it's hot. What did you think was going to happen when y'all did what you did? If you ain't ready to have a baby, you're not ready to have sex. Just because you make a mistake doesn't mean we get to murder somebody else. How do you get the right to murder somebody else? Well, I, it's my choice. No, it's not your choice. It's a body that doesn't belong to your body. When you walk in there, one body dies, and I want to be graphic here. It is literally sucked out by a vacuum cleaner and put into the trash and you walk out about your way to do it again. Because the average woman getting an abortion gets more than one. All because you just wanted to have sex, but you weren't ready. Now, praise God for the women who have the babies. Amen. And men, you need to step up and do your part. Because what's happening now in our culture is we're at the point 48% of our births in America, point number two here, are coming to unwed mothers. This is the first time in our culture. That means in the next couple of years, they say more than half of all of our babies being born are not going to be with families where the mom and dad are going to raise them together, but are going to come from broken homes. Now, you ask yourself this question. Would you rather have a mom or a mom and a dad? Now, that doesn't mean that you have to stay with that bozo if he doesn't treat you right because we believe in putting out restraining orders and putting them to jail, amen? So women, if you're single for that reason, praise God. But here's the point. If you could start over right now, if you could talk to a young lady, what would you say? Do you want to raise a child on your own and them only have a mom or would you want them to have a mom and a dad? Why is it we forgot that in our culture? We need to lift up and esteem moms and dads again, amen? And now today, because of that, what's happening? The fatherless homes are beginning to create some of our worst epidemics ever known to this country. Nine times out of ten, where is that baby going to live if they're not married? With who? The mom. 
And I want to thank God for single dads that are doing your best. Praise God. But the statistics are that most men will not keep that child with them. It's going to be raised by the mom. Now you want to see the stats that come, come after that? Look at these stats. 63% of youth who have suicide have a higher rate of having suicide who come from fatherless homes. 63% higher rate. 90% of all homeless and runaway kids, fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. So you see now we go into the abortion. See, look, it's not working. Because sex was made to have babies. That's the original version, isn't it? Is that what Miley Cyrus is thinking about while she's swinging on that wrecking ball? I want to be a mom one day? Is that what she's thinking about? Of course not. So that's called perversion. And it shouldn't be something that we take lightly. I mean, it's funny when I say it like that, but it's serious, isn't it? Now, look at what's happening in our country because of abortion. million children die a year, 3,000 a day, 50 million since 1973. 80% of all abortions are performed on unmarried women. Now, listen to me, ladies. If you've had an abortion, Jesus will forgive you, but you have to confess the sin of murder. You killed somebody. And we've had women in this church confess it, and they have admitted it, and they have said, God, forgive me, and God has forgiven them. But you have to be honest. Think about that. Now in our country, 22% of, of all pregnancies are ending in divorce. That's how bad it's gotten. One out of four of our pregnancies are now being murdered by their own mothers. See, I tell you about the mother here in Chicago that took her newborn baby and put it in an alleyway in a garbage bag and let it die. You all heard about that, right? And let it die. We all think that's disgusting. What's the difference between going to a doctor, spreading your legs, taking some pain pills, and then putting in scissors and a vacuum cleaner and taking out that 12-week-old fetus? Same thing. It's disgusting. God didn't create us for this. 37% of women who are going into these places to get the abortions are saying, I'm a Protestant. I could go to a church like Metro Praise. 28% call themselves Catholic. So that means 60% of people who are going there probably went to Christmas and Easter at a church, either Catholic or Protestant. They say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. That's why we need to pray for Jared as they go out to the abortion clinics, not to just protest and condemn people, but to literally talk to these mothers to say, don't do that. There is options. There is adoption. It is worth it. And remember, you made that mistake. Don't make the child pay for it. Let that child live. Now let me just go into a different gear here, homosexual and lesbian stats. Now as we get into this, I want everyone to hear my heart. I don't have a bone to pick with homosexuals or lesbians. I'm not here to be a pastor that makes this sin worse than any other sins. As all of you who have been in this sermon thus far, haven't I talked about adultery of heterosexual couples? Haven't I talked about pornography of heterosexual men, right? Haven't I confessed that it's honestly a struggle that all men have going to Boricua Fest or places like that? Right? I've been honest. But at the same time, I have to be honest about what the Word of God says regarding homosexuality. Okay? It's not as complex as people want to make it out to be. It's very simple. The original version was Adam and Eve. The original version is man with woman, and together they make a baby and have a family. Not all heterosexuals can have families. Some of them have medical issues. But two healthy heterosexuals in love can create a family. That was God's ideal from the very beginning. Then throughout the Old Testament, he warned us that this behavior was wrong. 
And then in the New Testament, when things did change in the culture, he reminded us again that it is still wrong. So it's not just like, oh, way back then it was wrong, now it's okay. No, the standard is still here. Read Romans chapter 1. You will see that the Bible simply defines it as being unnatural. Now, at the same time, I want to be very kind and loving to my friends that, that suffer this way or have uh, maybe not considered it suffering but have been, uh, you know, attracted this way. You may not have chosen this. That is true. You may have grown up, and this may come natural to you, to desire the same sex. And, and, and you may never have wished this upon yourself. And at times, you may be a Christian or been brought up in church and struggled with it. We at Metro Praise, we want to love you. We don't want to condemn you. We want to help you to understand what the Bible's saying. There's just two errors that we don't want to commit. The one error is to say God didn't call it a sin. So we don't want to change God's standard and say, well, you know, you're, you, know you didn't choose this. Maybe you were born this way. So as long as you can remember, you felt these attractions. Okay, you know what? We'll change the word of God and say it's not a sin. We're not going to commit that error of saying it's not a sin. At the same time, we're not going to commit the error of treating you like you're worse than anybody else. Like, oh my gosh, how could you be that way? How could you be one of those? How did you do this? What's wrong with you? You're so dirty and perverted. We don't want to commit that error either. Human sexuality from the fall, since Adam and Eve sinned, human sexuality has been dirty for all of us. And it has changed the way we've done it. Men don't desire just one woman. Most men desire many women. That's why God allowed polygamy for a time. But then he said, that's not my best either. So polygamy is not his best. It's one man with one woman. But that was a part of our culture at one time in the Old Testament. And God said he did that because of the hardness of their heart. And at the same time, women, you may sometimes feel like, hey, I need a couple of men to make me happy around here. And there's actually cultures that have more uh, women with more husbands. You see, but that's not right. And then some may say, I want a man, a reflection of me. They're a man. They say, I want a reflection of me, someone like me to fall in love with. Or a woman looking at the same sex, saying, I want someone to fall in love with. All of that comes from the same root of sin. Are you guys with me? Perversion. Polygamy, whatever the other one is, with one wife and many husbands, and then homosexuality and lesbianism. It's not what God intended. Now here, let me just give you some disturbing things that are happening in our culture that I don't think the news is telling us. That A study showed that the average homosexual man has between 20 and 106 partners per year, where the average heterosexual has between eight partners in a lifetime. I'm not saying every homosexual is this way. I'm just saying there is a great perversion in the homosexual community, and it needs to be exposed in that community. Also, number two, 43% of white homosexuals had sex with 500 or more partners. I used to work on Belmont, uh, go witnessing on Belmont and Clark. I have interacted with this community, and I lived in New Orleans, been on Bourbon Street and those parts. I'm telling you, this is true. There is a perversion that is there. And I'll get to more of what we would see, like the Ellen version or the more stable version. But listen, let's keep going. 78% of all homosexuals are affected by STDs. It's rampant. 2% of the, U the U.S. population is gay, yet 61%, uh, but yet they account for 61% of HIV. Think about that. 61% of people who have HIV come from this lifestyle, yet they're only 2% of the whole population. How about this? Domestic violence is higher among gay men, almost double, than being in a normal 
population. That means there's abuse happening. And it's not just with the men, it's with the women. More than half of all lesbians reported being abused by their lover or partner. So what am I saying? I'm trying to say that this is not the way we fix the problem. We just don't say, go and do whatever you want. God will love you because that's who you really are. Be true to yourself. No, it's not working. Men with dirty hearts who say, this is what I'm going to do, are going above and beyond what even men of heterosexual perversion do. 500 partners? Hello? And then even in lesbian relationships where you think being with another woman will be gentle and caring has more spousal abuse. Now, some people contest these stats, but I believe these are validated. Now, what about the children? Because people say, well, we can raise children. We can love each other. We won't abuse each other. We won't have STDs. All our agenda is, because a lot of times they say, we don't have a gay agenda. But, you know, all our agenda is, is just to have a family and be like everyone else. Well, the first question that I want to ask is this. What parent would you want to do away with in your life, the mother or the father? Because in a homosexual relationship, a family, you're automatically doing away with one or the other. You're either only going to have two moms or only going to have two dads. How can you say that a mom and a dad are both not important? See, that's the first question. The second question is, why are we raising this family for our sake or the children's sake? Who is the one we're doing it for? Are we doing it because we're lonely? We want something to validate our life with. We want to prove to the rest of the world we can be like everybody else. Or are we doing it for the children? Because here are the stats. Very similar with homosexual and gay and lesbian uh, families being raised. Very similar to fatherless home stats. They're much more likely to be on welfare, have lower educational attainment, report less safety and security in their family, negative impact on their life, suffer higher from depression, higher arrest record if they're female, more chances of having sexual partners, lesbian homes, especially with the two moms, once again now not having a dad present in these children's life, four times likely of being on public assistance, less likely of being employed, three times, uh, four times likely of themselves identifying as homosexual, Three times more likely to live in a, a marriage, uh, live in a relationship, live with a partner they're not married to. Now listen to this: ten times more likely. Look at number uh, this this point here. Ten times more likely when that father's not in the home. I don't care if it's two caring lesbians. When that father's not there, that security is not there. The child being brought up in a lesbian home is ten times more likely of being sexually abused, statistically speaking. Four times more likely of being physically forced to have sex against their will. Now, let me just give you the summary of all the stats as we get to leave here on a happy note, okay? This, that was the bad, the good, and the ugly. That was kind of the ugly part, not, not just with the homosexual, but the whole thing. Here's what we learned from these stats. Number one, there's perversion and fornication in this world. Let's be honest with it. Number two, sensuality, viewing of pornography is out of hand. We've become desensitized. Self-infliction, we're hurting ourselves by doing it this way. Immorality, we're tearing apart our families and our children. Adultery and the increase in affairs and divorce and less marriages is tearing apart how we're building our culture. Homosexuality isn't helping people with these uh, uh, desires. It's actually hurting them. Child abuse is on the rise because of our perversion. Murder is actually happening, abortion, because of our perversion, as well as all of our selfish ambition, all of our pride, all of our rebellion, all of our greed, suicide, people being either condemned because of who they are, they feel so bad they can't fix it, or dishonesty and the lying that goes on. All of this shows we're a broken people. 
We are broken. So what is the solution? Let me go through it quickly. Number one, you can write these down. Number one, guard your heart from lust. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart. Don't let your desires control your life. Let God's word control your life. So, Joe, how is it you don't have, uh, how is it you're not looking at pornography like 80% of men will do this month? Why am I different? Because I'm letting God control my life, not my lust. Just being honest with you. You want me to lie and say I don't lust? That's a lie, right? That's not going to help you. Well, I don't ever lust anymore. I'm not attracted to anybody. That's a lie. But when I do feel attraction, I don't, I don't operate on it. I say, get behind me, Satan. I pray to the Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Do you think Jesus really means that prayer? Do you think that prayer can work, or do you think Jesus was just throwing it out there like, maybe that will work, try this? Or do you really think like that meant something to him, that, that we could use that? Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Deliver me, Lord, from this website. Deliver me, Lord, from this lust that I'm having for a coworker or an imagination that I'm having about this person. Deliver me, Lord. He will, I believe. Number two, remain a virgin until your marriage. If you've already messed that up, that's okay. So did I. Just become a born-again virgin. Virgin. And become a new version of yourself. There you go. A new virgin and a new version. Just stop. Stop doing it wrong. Amen. Number three, fall in love God's way. Put God first in your relationship. I have a book back there, Date Like a Christian. If you want it today, we'll give it to you for free, and it's also free online for singles that want to learn how to mingle. Okay? Just do it God's way. Leilani, would you come, please? It's always going to be better. When you do get married, stay faithful to your spouse unto death. How does that sound? How about we really stay faithful and do this thing right? I believe in godly marriages. I believe this can happen again. Number five, raise your family with the teachings of God. Raise them up. Show them what's right and wrong. How can we expect our children to do different if we ourselves are doing the same thing? I want every man to look up at me, please. How can you tell your daughter, how can you tell your daughter, men, to not be perverted and dressed dirty when you're looking at naked women online? That's somebody's daughter. You think God is going to bless your teaching to that children's life when you're living like a hypocrite? You're not giving God anything to work with. God works through his word. You need to speak that word over your children and have God confirm that's how you're living. Now, I came from a family where I've got stepbrothers and sisters because my mom had to have a divorce. And her first husband, he's passed now, but he was a jerk and an alcoholic, and he cheated on my mom. Okay, I know what it's like from my mom to come from a broken life. But she said, I'm going to do it different the next time. And when she met my dad, my dad wasn't serving God. And they went out, and she was a baby Christian. They went out, and my dad drank too much. And my mom said, that ain't happening no more. I ain't dating another one like this. You got to serve Jesus if you want to get with me. You got to come to church with me. My dad started coming to church with her, gave his life to the Lord. He's been serving God ever since. I think they just made 40 years just last week or something. Amen? I wish I knew exactly how many years. This is so many. But I understand what it's like to come from that. And guess what? I also know what it's like to have my siblings have different babies with different baby daddies. 
And to go through that with my family, it's not easy. But we can teach our children to do different if we really want to live different. The example starts with us. Number six, remove all that perversion from your life. Just get it out and live a pure life. And number seven, stay in love with Jesus and your spouse. And if you're single, stay in love with Jesus and believe God for a good spouse. Can we all stand to our our, our feet and give God a hand clap? Amen. We bless him for his word today. Altar workers, would you come, please? I want to leave out with this story. I won't read it all because uh, I think most of you have heard it before. Today's message was on lust and adultery. Everybody say lust and adultery. Thank you. I hope that you learned something about that. But if you're like me, you've probably committed adultery according to the Bible. In one of two ways. You've either had sex with somebody else's wife or husband or you have lusted after someone you weren't married to. But guess what? I got good news for everybody here today. There's a story about a woman who was caught in adultery, and it shows Jesus' heart for her. You know the story. Many of you have heard it. She gets caught. She's thrown before Jesus. They all got stones because what are you supposed to do to an adulterer? Kill him, right? But we already see the hypocrisy of the people because who's there? Is a man and a woman there or just a woman? Just a woman. See, isn't that hypocrisy right there? That's hypocrisy. Because they're both supposed to die according to the Bible, right? But this doesn't throw off Jesus. They throw this woman before Jesus' feet, and, and, and rightly so. They say we're supposed to stone her because that's what it said in Leviticus. But Jesus was the new covenant. Jesus was coming in a new deal between God and man. And what did he say? He said, those of you without sin, throw the first stone. So he was saying in the new covenant, man is not able to give God's judgment anymore. He allowed us to do it back then, but he said, no more can you judge like that because unless you're without sin, you can't throw the first stone. And then he gets on the ground and he starts writing. And no one knows really what's... uh, what it is because it doesn't say in the Bible but our best guess is that he starts writing down the sins of the men that are there and so the Bible says they start leaving one by one from the oldest to the youngest and then when he gets down uh, back up he looks at the woman and put this up please at the very end he looks at the woman and he says where are your accusers where are the people who are judging you And she says, they're not here anymore, Lord. And he goes, neither do I condemn you. Look at that. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. The first thing I want us to know is that Jesus does not condemn sexually perverted or sinful people. He does not want us to go to hell. He doesn't look at us and say, you guys are so dirty down here. I'm just going to judge all of you. He does not want to condemn us. He came to save us. He came to forgive us. He wants our hearts to be changed. And then what does he say at the end? Number two, go now and leave your life of sin. So we're going to ask that Pastor Berto would remove this, please. And I want those of you here to hear my words before we pray, and we're going to dismiss. But some of you, you can't leave today unless we pray up here because here's the deal. Some of you need to come up and say, I'm leaving my life a sin. 
Yes, we're going to dismiss, and I don't want to judge those who have to go. Maybe you have to do things. But I want to say this. If you're here today and you're admitting, I have sinned sexually, I haven't done it right, and today I want to come to Jesus, the one who doesn't judge me or condemn me, but the one who wants to save me, I want to come to him. You can come to Jesus by way of one of these prayer workers. They'll pray with you, and we can declare over your life that you will leave out these doors and go and sin no more. You might say, that's, that's, that's almost impossible, Pastor. You don't know me. Listen, you did not know me. You didn't know me, but God has changed me. If he could do it for me, he could do it for you. And if he's keeping, keeping me pure in the present, he can keep you pure in the present. Don't leave out here saying, I'm going to live like this the rest of my life, no matter what you're dealing with. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person here today that heard your word. I thank you that there's forgiveness for those of us who have sinned sexually and done it the wrong way and lust and adultery that's broken our hearts and yours. Lord, I pray that we'll be forgiven today, that our lives will be changed, and that, Lord, we won't leave out of here until it's been spoken over us. Go and sin no more. Lord, I pray you bless our marriages. You bless our mothers and fathers that are here. And whatever's been broken in the past, 